Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Your word is powerful and it plants within us possibilities. And so, Father, we, we focus our attention and our affection in its direction in these moments, asking your Holy Spirit to speak to us individually and communally. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, we invite you. Amen. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are attracted to shiny things. Whether it is in the garden or in the desert, we have this penchant for those shiny things as humans. In Samuel 8, Israel, these, uh, these wandering people of God, desired a king. Uh, up to this time, they had no king. They had no king. They simply had uh, priests and prophets who were leading them. That's it. And Samuel relayed the message from Yahweh to those who were desiring to have a king. What would transpire if they got a king? Now listen to this. It is incredible. Sons will be drafted. Uh, Anybody, uh, as we celebrated Veterans Day, uh, recognize a little bit of that? Yeah? Uh, Maybe not so much presently, but in the past. I have some uncles who were drafted. Not necessarily by a king, right? Some will plow in his fields and harvest his crops. Some will make weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive groves and give them, his, give them to his own officials. Uh, not to your friends, but to his friends. Think about it. Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you set on. He will take the tenth of your grain and grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will, make, he will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and he will, and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. Friends, we, we, like the people of Israel then, tend to refuse the warnings that God gives us throughout Scripture. So God said to them, even so, we still want, they said, even so, all of this, we still want a king. Yeah, we want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into a battle. We have a penchant for the shiny things around us. And they're not always the glittery things that we put on our fingers, but they tend to be the things around us too. So God gave them what he wanted, gave them what they wanted. And it went the way Yahweh had told them. This is our storyline. And we struggle to break free from the bondage of what we see and want over against what God desires for us. There's a hope and help for this real struggle, though. Did you know that? Because the Lord's good. He has a hope and he has a help for us. When our eyes look around and we see what others have, those shiny things, we are just simply attracted to them. We're just simply attracted. 
We all have different shiny things, as I pointed out earlier, that we are attracted to. To a person. To a person. We simply have a hard time being content with what we have. Thus, gratitude eludes us. Gratitude eludes us. Just prior prior to this parable read, Jesus was asked by someone in the crowd to speak into and mediate between brothers after the passing, uh, I'm assuming, of their parents, or at least the father. And one one of the brothers says to Jesus from the crowd, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Awkward. Can you just say awkward? I mean, it's just like, you know... You ever been invited to a conversation you don't want to get invited to? I think Jesus is here. There's nothing more disturbing than being at a funeral where families are spatting over money and things left. So unseemly, right? I mean, right? Yet there's something insidious in the human nature growing in most of us. And it Peers itself in the most unwanted and unlikely places. And in this case, it was after the death of parents at a funeral after it. This little weed, you may know it, it's called greed. Which is closely related to covetousness and jealousy. Where does this weed grow from? It grows from the place of being concerned with me. It's concerned about me. I, I deserve, I want. Who's going to look out for me? If I don't, they won't. We are attracted by the shiny things, even if it may be broken glass. Think about that. The glint on a beach, broken glass. And glass has has the ability to cut us Leave a wound and a scar we live with for the rest of our days. So we are currently in a series called Gratitude. Uh, Taking advantage of the calendar and more importantly, uh, last week, our biblical lineage of building booths around the conclusion of harvest to remind ourselves that God is good and that he deserves all the praise. No one else. To love God as followers of Jesus, we know gratitude, that idea of feeling thankful, is hard work. It simply is hard work. We we are a people that are not about trying harder. Remember, a few weeks ago, but we're going to train ourselves that being grateful is not based on our mood, or our circumstances, but it's based on the one who gives us life and gives us our identity. Now, in case you thought it was, I came up with this idea. I didn't come up with this idea. It's a great way. It's a great way to live healthy, way of living. Yet this truth comes from the Bible, and we live our lives around it. Jesus taught and modeled what we're talking about, gratitude, and contentment with his life, death, and resurrection. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. Think about that one. But Paul, more kind of maybe in our swing of things, says it this way in Philippians chapter 4. 
I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, that's on the screen, but I'm going to continue. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he says. By the way, if you've been using that verse out of context, you might want to put it back there. Right? It's in Christ. Content whatever the circumstances. Really, Paul? What does this mean? Well, uh, let's just spell it out in some other words. Content can mean pleased, fulfilled, gratified with things as they are. So let me ask you, if nothing changed in this moment, would that be you? Would you be content? Hmm. Here are a few circumstances Paul found himself in after his encounter with Jesus. Now, this is post-Jesus, and I reason we need to pull that out is we think that when we get Jesus or we follow Jesus, that life becomes this smooth road. He says this in 2 Corinthians 11, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now, I find it rather interesting. Uh, He's going to point out just about everybody here, but that he starts with the Jews. These are his very own people. He loved them. He loved them before. I mean, he really did. If you can, we can argue, we can sit down and have a conversation, but he loved them before he met Jesus, and he loves them even more after. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Wow. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in, in city, in the danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger at false, from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And Paul tells us in Philippians, learn what it means to be content in all things, whatever circumstances. What is it that he learned? What is the key to being content and cultivating the spirit of gratitude that can flow all the time? Now back to our text. The ground, not the guy. The ground, not the guy. Back to our text. Then he told them a story. A rich man had fertile farm for a fertile farm that produced fine crops. The object, I know we don't often parse these sentences out, but sometimes it reveals some pretty hidden, pretty cool hidden gems. And the object of this sentence in the original language is not the rich man, as we might think. Jesus is not necessarily opposed to the rich man. But the object is the fertile soil. It's the ground. What is Jesus attempting to tell us when he puts that as the object? It is the thing that he's trying to point out. What is he trying to set up for us in this whole parable? It's this, simply this, that the prosperity of the rich man is not doing, is not his doing, but a consequence of the providence of the productivity of the land. Providence meaning God's hand. While he worked the land, the man, and probably others, 
the source of its fertility, and the harvest was not his. Not even his to claim. Jesus makes it, makes it clear that this man, this rich man, did not produce the crops, the fertile soil, the ground produced the crops in which is now, now he's pondering whether he should tear down existing barns and build bigger ones. <laughs> this is the human pothole taking credit for what is taking credit for what is not ours it's not ours to take credit for how many times have you been in a situation where you're listening to the story of somebody and it sounds familiar in fact maybe you and your spouse have walked the same road and you want to contribute to help them out so you insert yourself into the conversation and it goes something like this, how you did that and we did this. It's all about you and how you were the center of it. It could be in business, marriage, raising kids, illness, and finances. I hear this out of myself all the time. So if it's not you, then I'll take the blame. Or we're quick to hear of somebody's success in marriage, children, finances. Uh, for me, the church world. And so we buy the book. We subscribe to the podcast, we go to the conference, we drink the, oh, yep, whatever's sold. Come to find out it doesn't work for us the way it worked for them. And we go, why not? You see, because we're looking for, a, for something that is outside of our control. We're, we're looking for something and we're contributing. Like even in our own stories, we forget that it wasn't our doing, our ingenuity, our creativity, our imagination. It was simply the Lord depositing in us the goodness of his greatness and allowing us to live in that flow. And so when we forget to put the Lord was good, let me tell you how he was. We lose an opportunity to put ourselves in the proper place and put God in his rightful place. We are way too consumed with the me of our lives. Here's the point I think Jesus is trying to make, if you haven't gotten it already. The man's self-absorption and selfishness leads the man to say my four times in the original language and I eight times. The sin of pride leads this man to sin of greed and exclusion. Like, what? Exclusion? Exclusion is a close cousin to greed. Did you know that? He's thinking, I did this. This is how I did it. We in the Western world don't realize this too much. We don't. We're not aware of it because we swim in it and we just think it's kind of normal. But we're steeped in individualism. The cultural context of the Bible is communal. The Middle East was and still is a communal culture, thanks be to God, where people gather at city gates and in tea shops, kitchen tables and roadsides to talk about things both great and small. And in the midst of the intensely connected culture, this man has no one because he's isolated himself. He's created an island to himself from those that he could be with. And he's eroded his trust, too, with those around him in this culture. He's surrounded with people, yet oh so alone. 
He's self-exiled and isolated by his foolishness. You see, the way of Jesus is communal and inclusive. When we follow the Messiah's footsteps, we are to be the same. Now, Jesus doesn't exclude people from the table. And I'm using that in a very broad term right now. People exclude themselves from the table by their own decisions and choices. Now, I'm not talking about us, whether we exclude people. I'm just saying Jesus doesn't. People choose. Now, that's a little sidebar, because I think community is vastly important and far, way underrated in our minds and our hearts. Listen to the man in the parable. He says, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Drink, eat, and be merry. And to this Yahweh, God, tells the man, this very night you will die. Then who will get your wealth? In other words, there is no two men and a truck going your way. This is not going to happen. And Jesus says, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have, rich, have a rich relationship with Jesus. So if you're ever wondering what Jesus desires from us, Jesus makes it clear in this spot. He desires a rich relationship with us. Jesus tells us. What does it look like? Well, for one thing for sure, not allowing the shiny things, uh, the harvest, to think that we're to build bigger barns and stand in the way of a relationship with God himself. And I think not letting the shiny things isolate us from the needs of those around us and our need for them. In verses 22 through 26, Jesus says, and I think he's, he brings this in in Luke especially to drive home the point to us. That's why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life whether you have enough food to eat, enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. You look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than the birds. Can, in, can, can all your worries add up to a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? You see, self-reliance stands in the way of trusting God. Trust is the path. You have to trust someone or something. So who are you going to trust? Most of us trust ourselves. We trust me. I'm the one I trust. Yeah, come on. How trustworthy are you? How trustworthy are you? A few weeks ago, I confessed to the, my band of brothers I confessed to them I needed to get back into some physical training for my mind, my body, and my soul. And I meant it. I really did, sincerely. I know that this is the right way for me. But as is the case with my band of brothers, they said, hey, Steve, how is that going? And much to my chagrin, I confessed that I hadn't. I hadn't. You see, I, I realize I, I, I need the accountabilities of brothers and sisters in my life who desire to follow Jesus with their whole selves. Not just part of them. 
but with their whole selves. Even more, I'm, I'm desperate for God to provide what I can't manifest on my own, right? We talked about this again a few weeks ago. There is a limit on willpower. Some people have more, but most of us run out, or all of us run out eventually, I should say. The rich man with the fertile soil thought wrongly that he was the key to the content, his contentment for life, as if bigger barns will lead to a lifetime of fertile soil. Now think about that. We think that way. <laughs> as if today's farming and full barns will lead to a lifetime of contentment. The good harvest led him away from the gratitude and contentment of God's provision to how he somehow could manifest his own contentment and his life from then on. I mean, look what I've done. Look what I produced. I mean, he says to myself, my friend, he's talking to himself as Adinka read. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Ah, oh, he's not talking to anyone else let alone giving thanks to God for the abundant gift of the harvest. He does not even consider their provision as a conduit for, the, for God's goodness to those around him. If you think for a moment that he was going to contribute to the community, he clearly states he's not going to do that. That is craziness. But it's true. It's true of us too, by the way. It's true of us. He has no intention of being generous, thinking or thinking of justice or giving God even thanks. Seems rather harsh, though, doesn't it? I mean, come on, Jesus. The guy simply asked you to arbitrate his inheritance. Uh, Rightfully his, right? This This doesn't seem so unreasonable. Yet Jesus desires our attention and our affection to be directly solely and only on him and what he provides he wants us to fulfill the 10 commandments can you believe this god wants us to do this all right a little tongue cheek there you can laugh every single one of them starting with the first one and think about this think about how exodus 20 starts it says and then god spoke these words moses right he said i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then in verse four he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. <laughs> Why doesn't he want him to build bigger barns? Because God has a far greater purpose for him. He has a far greater purpose and Because he loses sight of God and ultimately his soul. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Now, this is what's interesting about this passage of Scripture. Jesus clearly states that you and I can gain the whole world while we're here. It is interesting. So look, you could gain the whole world, but ultimately you'll lose your soul. And the definition of gaining the whole world will not be on God's terms, but it will be yours. The storehouse of things will last for a moment, but they'll be gone. What else, what, the other thing that's quite interesting about this passage, a, a little bit digging around the words, is the word used for rich, used, by, used in regards to the farmer and the relationship with God. When used with the farmer, it is an adjective describing the farmer at that moment in time. It is a, a time-bound statement. But when used by Jesus in the relationship with God, it comes across as a state of being that lasts on and on and on. Our richness comes and goes, but our, our relationship with God, when we establish it on his precepts, living according to his commands, lasts forever. So we can create our contentment by our circumstance. I mean, we can create it. We can create contentment for ourselves. We cannot deny that. But they will be gone. Or we can allow God to be our contentment. He becomes our life. He's the one that if you have said yes to Jesus, has brought you out of Egypt. He's brought you out of bondage. You need to put yourself in that storyline. The death angel has passed over your door. When we follow him, it's not what we produce, it's what he produces through us. We worship God and only him. And all praise goes to him. So we have a choice. We have a choice. We can trust, we can trust ourselves or you can trust yourself, right? I mean, we can do that. Or we can choose to trust God. You see, this hinges on trust. This idea of living in gratitude and living in contentment hinges on the fact, do we trust God for our lives? And this takes faith. It takes every day, walking it out, day in and day out. Proverbs 3, you're familiar with it, maybe. 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. He's our guide. Our trust in God leads to a life of gratitude and contentment, but it has to be found in him. And that contentment that we desire, hopefully, is not temporary. So what about if we want to do some correctives based on this story? What's our next steps? Let me ask you this. Around your dinner table, in your head, in your journal, wherever you talk out these things in your life, who's getting the thanks? Who's getting the thanks? Is it coming back to God's the good provider of all that we have? What story do you tell? 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 
16 to 18 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Well, the Father of heaven that we lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, he, cho- he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits he created. A little tag into last week. Isn't that great? So what story are you telling? Maybe there's a place this last week that you took just a little too much accolades on yourself. God uses us and people say thanks to us all the time. And we need to receive it graciously. But how do we give it to God? Do we let it pass through? Or do we put it in a container for, you won't believe what they told me. So how do, we, how do we, in this idea of generating contentment and gratitude, how do we do this? Well, just to dive back into this idea of reflection a little bit deeper, we need to be people who meditate on God's word. We need to be people who meditate on God's word. Joshua's on the edge of entering the promised land, and God tells him, he tells him to be strong and courageous, be careful to obey the All the law my servant Moses gave you to do, do not turn from it from the left or the right. But he tells him to meditate on this day and night and be careful to do everything that is written. And then you will be prosperous and successful. It's not that God doesn't want us to be successful. In fact, I would argue he wants us to be abundantly successful. But it's based on his precepts, on his commands. We need to be people who start to read his word to see where he's working. Do you hear that? We read his word and we go, oh, that's how you're working. We need to be people who reflect on God's goodness. Now, this may be a a peculiar passage to pick up, but Exodus 34, 6 and 7, uh, Moses, just quickly, Moses is asking God, what is your name? He, He wants to know God's name. And God says to him, the Lord, the Lord, he doesn't give it to him in one name. Like, my name's Steve, right? He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. What I want you to capture is that God is loving and compassionate, that he himself, his very character and who he is, is somebody you can can meditate on, you can reflect on. Psalm 1 tells us that that's exactly what we do, not only on God's word, but we reflect on his goodness, and we want to be a people who reflect on his goodness. And number three, I think that to cultivate gratitude, we need to be around people who are desiring to cultivate gratitude too and contentment that's based on the word of God. So we need to commit to community. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just just as in fact you are doing. 
It is the, the charge of the community of faith, your community groups that you hang with, your small groups, your triad, your band of brothers or sisters, whoever you're with, are to encourage us in the way of thinking about, is this what the Lord is asking you? Is this what the Lord, what's he doing in your midst? Even this morning, uh, before we started, Francis led us in a, a little devotion uh, as a worship crew and just asked the question, where do you see God's goodness? We need those questions asked of us because the world around us wants to pursue, if you haven't read the news lately, wants us to pursue something vastly different and more negative, more destructive. We need to remind ourselves, and this is probably uh, the truth of who the evil one is. He wishes to kill, steal, and destroy. God desires to bring life and life abundantly. So are you content? They've been chasing the shiny things, thinking about building bigger barns. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it penetrates through uh, our, uh, our, our ways of even self-protection and self-promotion. Father, we all have these shiny things in our lives. So Lord, in the next few moments, Lord, would you, if you have not already, by your spirit, would you illuminate those shiny things? And if they are things that have caught our attention and they are a distraction from our attention and affection to you, Father, lead us to repentance, confession, and may we live in your forgiveness. Father, I'm grateful, Lord, that you are God, that you are the one who brought us out of Egypt to give us life and a life abundant. Help us to see you, not only in these moments, but in this day, this day and the days ahead. In Jesus' name.